where do we start? Um, I think the topic was making pregnancy predictable from the oral contraceptive pill up to fertility prediction models and apps. And I think there'll be some of us in this room who can remember the time when pregnancy was something that could only happen in one way. There was only one way to get pregnant, and that was it. And it happened when you were good and ready to be pregnant, and it happened influenced by things beyond your control. So we are thinking of the pre-1960s. But of course, all that changed with the advent of the oral contraceptive pill. Suddenly, this immutable link between sex and reproduction was broken forever, and a new era began in terms of reproductive choice. And of course, I'm looking at the students around the room, you're far too young to imagine a world where that wasn't always the case. Now, when we talk about pregnancies then and pregnancies now, the clear difference is in terms of people's expectations. Because if you were conditioned by society to expect a pregnancy when it happened, you had no expectations whatsoever. And in fact, it took us as fertility doctors to almost invent a definition of infertility. Hands up, those who know the definition of infertility. Anybody? Oh, well done. That's my wife, by the way. <laughs> Anyone else? Infertility definition? Natalie. Inability to conceive after 12 months of regular unprotected sex. Okay. So the definition of infertility, according to Natalie, who's quite correct, is uh, inability to conceive after 12 months of regular unprotected sex. How do you think we came to this definition? If you think about it, it's because my predecessors went out there and observed groups of people who were trying to get pregnant. And what they realized was if you took 100 couples who were trying, and there's always this distinction between trying and not contracepting, and people have a debate about it. The bottom line was they were not using any contraception, and if you followed them up over a period of 12 months, about 80 of them would get pregnant, and the other 20 would not. And based on the 80-20 rule, it was decided that that was the definition of infertility. But there was a massive, massive flaw in that definition, because it assumed that a 40-year-old woman trying for 12 months and a 20-year-old woman trying for 12 months would have the same chances of getting pregnant. And of course, that's not the case, because somebody who's younger would have a much higher chance of getting pregnant. So if your 100 women or couples had women who were all aged 20, then the expectation would be that more of them would get pregnant in that 12 months, whereas if your population included women who were 40 and above, then you would have to wait a lot longer for th that 80% to get pregnant. 
So in a way, when we're talking about prediction models, it's not a new concept at all. It's always been there because that's at the very heart of how we define what infertility is. Nevertheless, from that point on, things ramped up quite a bit. And of course, people invented lots of clever ways of getting pregnant, culminating in the use of IVF, and more recently, IVF in a number of different guises. So IVF using freshly created embryos, IVF using embryos that have been frozen and kept on ice, fertility treatments involving frozen eggs, frozen sperm, in all kinds of permutations and combinations, treatment using surrogates to carry the pregnancy, etc. And somewhere within all this was also an appreciation that there were some couples in whom, following that 80-20 rule and 12 months of trying, you did tests and you found that they had an absolute impediment to fertility. In other words, women who have no fallopian tubes or men who have no sperm being produced. But equally, and patients find it particularly frustrating because when we as doctors do our basic investigations and say we can't find a reason, We've used our discretion and our infinite imagination to label that as unexplained infertility, which is good for us, but not very satisfactory from the patient's point of view, because they think we really, in the 21st century, you can't explain it. But the bottom line is a third of the patients that we see in our clinics who've been trying for over a year have no discernible cause for why pregnancy can't happen. So there are a number of key decisions to be made around these patients because if you don't know what's wrong, how do you fix it? Because that runs counter to basic principles of medicine where you found, find a reason, you find the pathology, and then you correct it. But uh, luckily or unluckily in infertility, we've never really been distracted by trivial details such as not finding a cause. We've come up with a whole range of very exciting, imaginative, and dare I say expensive treatments that just hits the spot, including IVF. So we find ourselves in the 21st century in a situation where, if you followed my argument so far, we're not very clear on who's infertile because of those, who've been trying for a year and fall into that 20% group who don't conceive, half of them will actually get pregnant in the next year. So therefore, very few of them have absolute infertility or sterility. They've always got the chance to conceive. But we don't know who they are. And secondly, in a third of all the patients that we see, we can't come up with a clear diagnosis. And therefore, any treatment that we offer them has to take into account the fact that it needs to be better than not treating them at all. Which makes for a very unsatisfactory situation. So what I've told you is we don't know what infertility is, we don't know when to treat it, and by extension of that argument, we don't know how to treat it. And then, of course, we've tried to cover some of these gaps in our knowledge by saying, but of course we follow evidence-based practice, we do large randomized trials where we offer people the chance to be randomly allocated into groups that compare treatment A with treatment B in couples with unexplained infertility to find out what is the right treatment for them. 
And do you know what? We've kept that going for about 25 years before somebody stumbled onto the fact that if you only compared one treatment versus another, and you showed that one was better, you really weren't able to show whether either was better than no treatment at all. So we had to debunk that myth as well, the fact that any treatment was definitely better than no treatment in a population who could conceive. But that's a big step because, of course, in medicine, you come to hospital, you're diagnosed with a problem, and what you expect is treatment. That's what happens if you have pneumonia, but it's not necessarily what you need when you have infertility based on a rather dodgy definition, and then you have a condition where you don't know what's wrong. Equally, even if you do large randomized trials, the answer they provide is if you took 100 people and you randomly allocated them to either treatment, one or the other, X percent of them in either group might have success or get pregnant. That information is completely useless when you're talking to one patient or one couple in front of you for whom a percentage means nothing. So if you tell somebody, someone in your position would have a 30 or 40% chance of getting pregnant, that means something, but it doesn't give them the answer they need, which is, in their situation, if they chose one treatment versus another, or versus no treatment at all, would they get pregnant or would they not get pregnant? So for them, the answer is binary. It's a yes or a no that they're looking for. And we can't answer that. And even with our prediction tool, we can't answer that. But at least we can give them a more personalized approach, which is to say, in your situation, the chances of success might be X or Y percent. So I think I've spoken enough, and it's time to hand over to my colleague David, who's then going to take the story further in terms of how you address these two very fundamental questions. Whom should we treat with fertility treatment, and when should we treat? Okay, thanks, Barry. So well, a lot of the research I'm involved with um, is to develop these clinical prediction models that uh, Batty's um, already discussed a little bit about. Um, and these are basically mathematical equations that can be used in order to estimate a couple's chances of becoming pregnant. But bef before I go into that uh, detail, um, I want to talk a little bit about what prognosis is, i.e. what is the risk of um, some future health outcome occurring in a patient. And I'm going to ask Barry to help me hold up <coughs> something for me. <laughs> so, just to give you a little bit of introduction to this. Um, so about 10 years ago, uh, there was a report published that said that, I'm going off paste here, I'm not talking about fertility at the moment. Uh, there was a report about 10 years ago that uh, said that um, there's a 20% increased risk of bowel cancer if you eat bacon every day. So I don't know if you remember that report. It was very, you know, the press had a field day with it and everyone was scared out of their wits. Um, but what does that 20% increased risk actually mean? So in order to, sorry, hold up, sorry. <laughs> in order to uh, visualize what it means, I've got this little square here of 10 by 10, 100, 100 smiley faces, or 101 if you count, Batty. <laughs> and um, what we first have to do is actually define 
what the risk is of having bowel cancer if you don't eat bacon sandwiches every day. And the report published five out of 100, so 5% risk if you don't eat bacon sandwiches every day. And that's represented by the red uh, sad faces on the chart. So going back to what the report said, it said there was a 20% increased risk of bowel cancer if you eat bacon sandwiches every day. This is the risk for those who don't eat bacon. So a 20% increase of five is one. So if you imagine 100 people who eat bacon sandwiches every day, we're only adding one more sad face to the, to the five that are already on the chart. So the 20% increase risk is actually only 20% increase of a very small number, which is a small number. So we don't have to be too scared about eating uh, bacon. And uh, actually the study center is a nice uh, bacon sandwiches every morning, so <laughs> help yourselves. Um, <laughs> I think you're, that's okay now, thanks very much. So moving on now, so what this actually shows us is the average risk of bowel cancer in the population of patients. But for prognosis, we actually want to zoom in more on the individual themselves, rather than just an average overall rate. We want to know if uh, a couple who have a certain uh, characteristics, such as uh, their age, um, how long they've been trying to get pregnant, other things like that, we want to actually calculate their risk of getting pregnant um, in the future, um, looking at their individual personal characteristics. And we can do that uh, using uh, what we call prediction models. And in order to develop a prediction model, we need two things, and that is data and a statistical model. So I'm going to speak about a particular piece of research that me and Batty have been doing for the last uh, couple of years now, um, which is trying to estimate uh, the chances of conceiving in couples who have or who are labelled as having um, unexplained infertility. So those are couples who have come to the fertility clinic and have been investigated uh, to try and find causes for why they aren't getting pregnant. And um, after all the investigations, they can't find anything, so they're labeled um, unexplained and infertile. And in these patients, it'd be quite difficult to make decisions around uh, when they should be treated, because as we know, fertility treatment is actually uh, quite um, severe on the, the female partner, and um, is also quite costly treatment as well. Um, so, the data that we used for this project uh, came from the Aberdeen Fertility Clinic, and uh, they contain or have patient records on all couples um, from the point of diagnosis. And they also follow them up over time, so we can actually pick up data on what fertility treatments the couple have received, such as IVF and the details around those treatments. We were also able to identify um, the outcomes of those patients as well, so um, who got pregnant and when, and who, um, which, uh, which pregnancies um, arrived at a, a live-born baby. So Aberdeen Fertility Clinic data is unique in that no other place, as we, uh, we are aware of in the world, actually contains such uh, rich data in order to conduct this study. 
So what we did, we got this uh, database and we applied a statistical model to it to arrive at what we call like a mathematical formula that's able to estimate the chances of conception in couples who have um, unexplained infertility. This equation was made up of um, several important characteristics of the couple. The first important one was the age of the female partner. So as a female um, gets older, her chances of conceiving uh, decline over time. And the second characteristic was how long the couple have been trying to get pregnant. So the longer a couple have been trying, the uh, less their chances are of, of becoming, having a baby. Um, and the third uh, characteristic was whether or not the couple asked. And um, if they have, then their chances are slightly higher of conceiving again in the future. So we derived this uh, kind of complex mathematical formula, but we were able to uh, convert it into a nice online prediction calculator that can be used by the clinician and with their patients in the clinic. And what the clinician then would use this tool to uh, enter the patient information, such as the female age, how long they've been trying, whether or not they've been pregnant before, and it outputs um, a predicted chance of conceiving from the point of being diagnosed with unexplained infertility. And it predicts chances, the chances of conceiving over the following six months. And the novel aspect of this particular model is that it can actually update these chances at every subsequent month thereafter. So for example, if people haven't become pregnant within uh, six months of diagnosis, um, this uh, model or online tool will actually um, update their personalized individual chances of conceiving uh, over the following six months. And this tool then can be used um, just to inform couples of their chances of conceiving, but also um, to kind of facilitate decisions around when couples should um, come into the clinic for fertility treatment. And when I say predict, uh, pregnancy chances, I mean natural pregnancy chances. And the other unique aspect of this particular model is that um, it can also account for treatments that occur in these subsequent months. So if a couple have been trying for six months <clears throat> and their prognosis has reduced over time, if they have IVF, six months later, <clears throat> this model will actually update their chances with um, the um, probability of becoming pregnant um, after receiving a certain treatment, such as, for example, uh, IVF or intrauterine insemination. So it's a very unique tool in that respect, so it can help with decisions around when to treat. And we actually have two laptops here on the table. Um, so during the break, you're welcome to come up and have a play with these calculators, if you, if you so wish. And I think that's me. I don't know if Batty wants to finish with some words. I'll just use this microphone just to finish off on, on this particular point, which is I, I can hear you thinking, so that's great. You have a problem. You've got um, a, 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 a toy to play with. What's that got to do with day-to-day -day patient care? So just to put things into context, um, 
we deal with couples um, of various ages, various durations of infertility, they have one thing in common, they've been trying for more than 12 months, but apart from that, each one is different, is individual, and each one has a different chance of conceiving on their own, and actually a different chance of conceiving even with treatment. What this tool is potentially useful for is to have that initial discussion about whether, if we are looking at the next six months, it's worthwhile to start on any active treatment given that treatments are invasive, potentially expensive if they're not available on the IVF, uh, sorry, on the NHS, as indeed is the case for many countries. And, and third, the chance of actually conceiving on their own is something that many couples would prefer if possible. So the tool allows us to work out what might happen if we don't offer any treatment immediately. And then it gives us the chance to meet the couple again in say three to six months time and then go over their chances of conceiving with or without treatment. And it's at the point when their chances of conceiving with treatment are significantly above their chances of not conceiving with treatment. And remember, this is in couples who still have a chance of getting pregnant on their own, although they haven't done so in the first year of trying. So that's the point when, in their view and in our view, the difference in outcomes is sufficiently large to merit the extra invasiveness, the extra procedures that someone has to go through to make that critical decision about whether to have treatment. Also, because there's sometimes more than one kind of treatment that might be offered, if you have a couple where, for example, the female partner is coming up to an age where they need to get pregnant quite quickly because if they have treatment A now and have treatment B a year later, they might just miss that critical window within which their chances of treatment-related conception are high, then that's the time to decide between the different treatments as to which one is more appropriate. In the past, we did all this using the prediction tool between our two years. So in other words, doctors almost had this God-given right to prognosticate based on their personal experience and knowledge. All that we've done is instead of that, replace it with something that's actually based on real-time patient data. So I think we have a break now. And during that break, you're very welcome to come up and, and have a play with the computers here, and we'll talk you through what is it that we are talking about. Thank you. <laughs>